Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a speaker or a meeting planner, things are starting to open up. Get together now and find one another at SpeakerMatch.com. Our guest today is a speaker. He speaks at some of the biggest cryptocurrency conferences in the world. He's an expert on cryptocurrency, and that's why we want to talk to him today. Uh, James Stroud is with Stealth XST, and James, we're going to ask you some basic questions about cryptocurrency because there's a lot of talk about it, and you see Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live, and you read the, the Wall Street Journal headlines, but there's a lot of confusion out there. So thank you, first of all, for being here. And are you ready for me to pepper you with 20 questions? Absolutely. Thank you, Bert. Thank you for inviting me. That's my pleasure. And, uh, and I know that folks are going to learn an awful lot. So break it down for us. And let's start very basically. What are uh, cryptocurrencies? Define cryptocurrencies for us. A cryptocurrency is no more than a ledger. And what a ledger is, is it is a document that keeps track of how much money every person has that is part of that ledger. And if one person transfers some money to another person, that transfer is recorded in a ledger. At its root, that's what a cryptocurrency is. So cryptocurrency essentially is a digital asset. It started out, I guess, is a medium of exchange, just like a dollar for people to, to buy goods and services. But that functionality has expanded then over time. Is that right? Correct. So cryptocurrency started out as definitely as, a, as what you would call a medium of exchange. And but the thing is, is since cryptocurrencies are purely electronic, they are uh, the, what makes them work are computer programs. And so they're assets that are that are controlled and and uh, and manipulated by computer programs. So then, what you can do is you can use uh, you can attach some of this programming to the cryptocurrency itself. So cryptocurrencies can then be programmable money. If the world achieves a certain state, then do do something automated with this money. Like if the Red Sox win the World Series transfer some money that's in escrow from escrow to the person who who bet on the Red Sox. That's the type of I I know that's a bet. That's not the only thing it can do, but it's one of the simplest things you can you can describe as a bet because somebody wins and somebody loses. So you can do things like that. You can just prog- you can program the money with blockchain and so then it turns into uh that, that would be called a smart contract, and smart contracts can have bets. They can have uh, people um, funding certain projects. They can have uh, what's known now as NFTs. People may have heard these in the news. So you can have a, a digital asset with a, with a bunch of attributes associated with it, for example, uh, a piece of art. So, um, yeah, it's, it's massively expanded. Um, because of this ability for you to attach computer code that does something to the asset itself, because the asset itself is purely electronic. 
So I had read then that, that Tom Brady, um, uh, the NFL great uh, quarterback, had an NFT and announced exactly what it is. And I think maybe maybe what will be helpful for folks who are listening who are just trying to figure this whole thing out and, and of course, they're thinking, gosh, maybe I should invest in, in cryptocurrency or, or not, is to kind of break down some of the lingo. And, and I'm going to ask you for some definitions, but I also want to see if I have some of this remotely correct and it's not going to hurt my feelings if you have to correct me all right james you ready sure okay so um a blockchain is not the same thing as a cryptocurrency is a blockchain then sort of the the digital ledger that you talked about that lives online is that is that the blockchain yes so the cryptocurrency you can think of as what is being tracked by the ledger and the ledger is a is a data structure in computer terminology it's a it's a it's a big piece of data that's structured um and that uh, form is typically a blockchain so the blockchain is the is the ledger and the cryptocurrency is what is being tracked by the ledger and that ledger is spread across many computers all over the world and they record every transaction so what are we hear about bitcoin for example so are, are coins is that any kind of cryptocurrency uh, that has its own blockchain right so uh you can have one blockchain uh, keeping track of many different cryptocurrencies, as happens on Ethereum. Or you can have a blockchain that keeps track of only one cryptocurrency, and that's like Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, those are actually the two possibilities. I guess you could have a blockchain that doesn't keep track of any cryptocurrencies, but I haven't heard of one of those yet. So what's the difference then in a coin and a token? Or is there a difference? Well, these are these terms are new, so they have not been established yet. But in typical parlance in the industry, a coin is what I would call the primary asset on a blockchain. So, for example, on Ethereum, the coin uh, you would call Ethereum. And that serves as what on Ethereum, they call that the gas. You need Ethereum in order to pay transaction fees on the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum Tokens, is just like Bitcoin. It's just another version, another uh, uh, cryptocurrency. Is that right? Right. Ethereum is another cryptocurrency on its own blockchain, and the blockchain itself is called Ethereum. Uh, and just like Bitcoin is, is a cryptocurrency, and the, and the blockchain is called Bitcoin. And... Um, and so Ethereum and Bitcoin are both used as the fees for fees on that blockchain because you make a transaction and typically those transactions are going to cost you something. There's, there's no free lunch. If there were a free lunch, everybody would have lunch and, of course, the world would stop. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it's just how it works. Um, so, there's, so you pay fees for transactions. And on Ethereum, not, um, Bitcoin is – Every blockchain can have many different tokens on it, believe it or not, even Bitcoin, and that is more complicated. But we typically we think about Ethereum when we think about tokens, and those are tokens that can be created that you don't pay fees with, and that the, blo the blockchain can keep uh, track of those as well. And on Ethereum, uh, 
people can create as many tokens as they as they want and they can do it rather easily actually the so one that's other, the be, one other term uh, i've heard james is an ico um initial coin offering is that essentially uh like an ipo an initial public offering in the stock market is that the same thing except for a cryptocurrency right and um this this is a this distinction has been sort of um explored by the securities and exchange commission and there's there's really no distinction at this point between an ico i mean legally speaking between an ico and a ipo for stocks and basically you can make a token um typically in historically this has been on ethereum because it was the first uh cryptocurrency where you could do something like this and then you could offer that for sale on ethereum in fact this was the this is where ethereum um when you first heard about the first ico on ethereum was the really um a, a landmark in in humanity in technology because ethereum could completely manage the issuance of and as security, really, just to just to be unambiguous about it, the issuance is a security, as in it could act as escrow, it could act as the counterparty. Uh, you can issue it, and then people could buy it from Ethereum, and you would never have to hire somebody to manage this. And the Ethereum with blockchain could do the whole thing for you, and it allowed people to have uh, issue um, securities without having to register with anybody, without even having to make their identities known. And while that may sound like a bad thing from the perspective of a regulator and maybe from a citizen who is worried you know, about bad actors, from a technological perspective, however, that was land-breaking. Uh, and that was really the, um, the first, what I would call, killer use of Ethereum um, is is an ICO, and of course, from there things have have grown considerably with um, DeFi, decentralized finance. But that's the distinction there between an ICO, ICO, and an IPO, and there is none. Dr. James Stroud is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, the service of SpeakerMatch.com. He is one of the world's foremost experts on cryptocurrency, and is the big cheese, the big Kahuna, the developer behind Stealth XST. Uh, which is its own kind of cryptocurrency. Um, so in trying to prepare myself for our conversation today, James, I read that as of earlier this year, uh, the total cryptocurrency market is worth over a trillion dollars. And within that, Bitcoin um, was worth over $700 billion of that trillion. And there are like another 8,000 cryptocurrencies like Ethereum that you mentioned and, and yours, Stealth uh, XST. Why are there so many cryptocurrencies? Well, the easy answer there is, uh, or the most straightforward answer there is that they are easy to create. Um, most of these cryptocurrencies are just created right on Ethereum, which is a platform, is the cryptocurrency platform that has its own cryptocurrency where you can just create any token you want. And if you to create a token and, and uh, get it on an exchange and it gets tracked by a tracking service like, say, CoinGecko, um, 
you have a cryptocurrency. You can make a cryptocurrency in 10 minutes. It will it have value? Uh, probably not. But some of them, some of these tokens do have value because um, they people do a, a, uh, attach some programmatic um, functionality to them that that pe that people do value. Um, but that's why there are so many. They're easy to make. And this would be, I, I would think, for a novice investor who's just trying to figure out cryptocurrency, one of the pitfalls, because I, I would assume, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of these cryptocurrencies fail, just like startup companies fail. Correct. Um, just like startup companies or any endeavor, there's going to be um, earnest efforts and there's going to be less than earnest efforts. And by far, the the less than earnest efforts are more common. So it, and um, the there's not a lot of regulatory presence yet in the the arena. So the, the, it's unregulated. So it's hard for a novice who doesn't understand the technology how easy it is to do this, how hard it is to do this, how feasible it is um, to propose this, and or or infeasible. For a, for a novice, it's really hard to make those distinctions, and so all cryptocurrencies kind of look the same. And then you can imagine that there's some uh, majority that are just basically created very easily with no true plan for their development and to add value to them. Um, our other cryptocurrencies, some you know, they're the minority of cryptocurrencies are honest efforts where people are really trying to make something novel and they're going to put their their life into it. And um, that in itself is just like a startup. I've worked at a, for a new company before and I know, uh, and I've had one myself, and I know for, an ex for a fact that entrepreneurs work day and night like mothers care for their baby, whether yeah. the entrepreneur is male or female, that's what they do with their lives. And a lot of cryptocurrency projects are just like that. So you touched on this earlier, but uh, several weeks ago, there was a huge news story about the Colonial Pipeline, um, which supplied uh, gasoline to the, the eastern coast of the United States. And uh, hackers, Russian hackers, got into, the, uh, into the, their computer systems. And uh, the Colonial Pipeline folks paid a ransom to get that back up and running. That was denied in the media to begin with, and then it came out that they did, in fact, pay that ransom. And they paid the ransom in cryptocurrency. And so, you know, that speaks to the fact, James, that sometimes these cryptocurrencies are used for illicit activities, illegal activities. Uh, you said yourself they're you know sort of impossible to trace. So is it true that that's a big part of the crypto world, these illicit, illegal activities? And, and if so, should something be done about it? And what would that be? Well, um, I think that is actually a misconception because, um, first of all, the, uh, the, these, these types of hacks are, um, they make the news. So it's kind of like making the assertion that, um, you know, traveling by plane is not that bad, uh, safe because when you, when a plane crashes, it's blanketing the news for days, <clears throat> excuse me, for days on ends on end. And that's kind of the same thing with the colonial pipeline. I mean, that was a big deal that supplies uh, a whole swath 
of um, humanity down in the southern uh, east, southeast part of the United States. And so it made the news, but um, I was, I, this is something that people in the industry are very sensitive to. So I kind of keep track of the numbers. It's some fraction of a percent, like one, one hundredth or one, one thousandth or some tiny fraction of the of percent of the cryptocurrency um, it, uh, uh, transactional volume that is used for illicit activities. It's just that people hear about them. And the thing is, the technology is incredible. And so it, it is, people are, bad actors are going to use good technology. It's just that simple. Um, you know, if you were robbing banks in the 20s, you use the fastest cars. It didn't mean that cars were were uh, were inherently bad. We use them every day. I mean, we our society couldn't function without cars. Um, but cars were used by bank robbers because they were the best technology. I mean, just imagine how comical it would seem to us for um, you know a, a bank robber riding a, riding away in a in a chariot pulled by horses and the, and the police following with cars. It just doesn't make any sense in our heads. And so that would be the same thing here. Cryptocurrency is an awesome technology. And of course, good actors are going to use it and bad actors are also going to use it. And, and because it's better than traditional payment systems, people are going to use it um, sooner and then um, typically it, bad actors are going to move in and use it as well. So, um, yeah, I hope that explains that and, and it eases people's worries. And still, cash is king. The U.S. dollar is used more for more illicit activity than um, cryptocurrencies. And it will, be a, it will actually be a, a landmark in cryptocurrencies whenever that ratio um, you know, flips. James Stroud is our guest today, Dr. James Stroud. He is uh, the head of Stealth XST. He's one of the world's foremost experts on cryptocurrency. We're fortunate to have him with us. He's breaking it down for us and, and helping the layperson understand cryptocurrency, whether maybe this is something you should invest in, but at the very least to know more about. So, uh, you know, James, I, um, I, I'm on social media like most people, and I get all sorts of targeted ads, and I'm always amazed at, at how well they now know who I am and, and what to send my way. And as you explained, the blockchain is sort of a digital ledger um, that would, I guess, record every transaction, whether they have names uh, assigned to those, those computer addresses or not. I, I would think that uh, the police could, could trace illegal activity uh, back to a crypto exchange who would know the end user, right? So is it possible for uh, for the police, for the FBI, if, if there are bad actors out there, to utilize this technology to track them down? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would, for, I would caution anybody thinking about using cryptocurrencies. First, don't, uh, for, for, uh, you know, for some sort of crime to, you know, please don't do it first that'd be against the law second and, and just bad in itself. Second, um, it's, yeah, that's easy to trace. Bitcoin is easy to trace. You're a, uh, a, a bad actor is still way better off using cash, some kind of in-person cash transaction because 
the whole the blockchain by its very nature is public and so um you can be traced i would uh i would I, since i've learned about the technology i've been very careful you know to um ensure that any cryptocurrency i use has a has a, a good provenance it comes from a reputable exchange to from their wallet to my wallet so that um they act as a barrier between me and any illicit activity that is done with that cryptocurrency so um yes the government can track it and um the cryptocurrency exchanges can can track it as well if you really want to see how good they are you know go and um go to some site try to make a transaction on it some site that they deem is you know uh you know something that might be in a gray area like a download site pay with that and then um i'm not saying to do this but if you you know if you really want to experiment and you did this the cryptocurrency exchange like coinbase would flag your transaction instantly and they're they're even a little trigger happy on that you can have some good cryptocurrency with good provenance that you know you got from exchange and they will still flag you for having it and so don't take cryptocurrency from your friends if you don't know your friends and send it to an exchange or you will get your uh, a lot of times you can get your account disabled so law enforcement is is not behind the curve on this either they can track cryptocurrencies very easily and um they probably increasingly will use this to find hackers and the only reason these hackers can get away with using bitcoin is not that they can't be found or or won't be known it's just that they're in places that the long arm of the US government cannot reach like deep in in the former soviet bloc James Stroud is teaching us all about cryptocurrency, what's good, what's bad. And so I'm listening to the podcast now, and I think, okay, I'm interested in dipping a toe into the water. I've got U.S. dollars. How do you actually take that first step? How do you purchase cryptocurrency, uh, and is it similar or completely different than if you were to, to purchase stocks? I, well, actually... I think it's just about as easy these days. In fact, it's cryptocurrency has been easier than buying stocks and trading in stocks for quite some time since its inception. Um, and the only only recently have stocks become as easy as cryptocurrency through applications like Robinhood. <clears throat> and uh, and so, how do you do it uh, these days? It's a little more complicated than it was early on. You have to go to an exchange and provide. Typically, exchanges require KYC, which is know your customer, and you have to provide an ID, uh, typically a selfie or even a, a movie of yourself, um, and supporting it's supporting documentation and fill out a form and answer questions, and you may even get redirected towards to one of these sites that determine your identity by um, asking you questions in your history, like what kind of car did you own when you lived on this street. That kind of those kind of questions that that only uh, that somehow these identity agencies know the answers to and can uh, authorize uh, identify you that, that way. And After what are the that, names of, of the, those um, uh, exchanges? You know, if, if you want to buy stocks, you might go to E Trade. What are the the reputable names of of cryptocurrency exchanges that you would recommend? Well, the big ones are um, Coinbase. That's the biggest. They recently did have a public offering. 
then there's Gemini. That one's uh, that one's probably the second biggest available to Americans. There's Kraken. Um, I hope I'm saying that one right. I don't know if it's Kraken or Kraken. Um, and they're U.S.-based. Um, and then um, the other ones that Americans can use these days are uh, FTX, um, the U.S. version of that, and uh, Bitrex, which is uh, one of my favorites. I use Bitrex all the time. My two favorites are Bitrex and Gemini, and they're the ones that get I, – I, my favorites come down to who, who uh, locks my account the fewest for, for little things and who gives me the least hassle, and those two um, do that. And they, the reason they lock your accounts is because they, are, like we touched on earlier, very sensitive to the provenance of your, your holdings. And if, any, if you have in their eyes a lot – you will um, they you will require further authorization from them, um, but yeah. And then what you can do with these exchanges is you can link a bank account just like with PayPal, and then you can make transfers from your bank account to the cryptocurrency exchange. And then some of them allow you to associate a debit card, and so you can make transfers through your debit card, and you can buy cryptocurrency. You can also sell cryptocurrency. And the bigger ones like Gemini and Coinbase will allow your uh, cryptocurrency proceeds that are in dollars to be transferred back to your bank account. And um, so that's that's how you trade them on one of these exchanges. If you're going back and forth to dollars all the time in and out of your bank account, then you're probably going to want to use Gemini or Coinbase. And you mentioned Robinhood earlier, which is more of a, a traditional online brokerage. Uh, and those guys, you said uh, – did I get this right? They're offering – uh, cryptocurrency uh, service as well. I think that's the case. I, to be honest with you, I haven't kept up with that app because it's been a stock trading app. But I believe they have they've offered that. Um, PayPal offers the same sort of thing. You can buy and sell through. You can at least hold through PayPal. But um, yeah, they they'd be foolish not to get into into the cryptocurrency actually, especially if they're already handling handling money on scale. And that's why I think this is is now breaking into the public consciousness even more when when companies, as you said, like PayPal, and I read that Square is getting in, involved in that, and Robinhood. Um, and as a matter of fact, it just as an interesting side anecdote, I was traveling a couple of months ago. I was in a small town in Alabama, of all places, Muscles, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, great music city, popped into a convenience mm-hmm. store to buy a bottle of water, and there was a Bitcoin ATM in a convenience store in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Now, I just kind of looked at it, and I asked the convenience store clerk, is this is this a regular ATM? He said, no, no, that's for Bitcoin. He didn't really, <laughs> he didn't really know how it worked. How do Bitcoin ATMs work, and are we going to start seeing those all over the country? Uh, I mean, they're going to become more and more prominent. Um, regulators are... are they, they're going to be more difficult to operate. Their regulators are definitely going to be um, watching crypto uh, cryptocurrency ATMs um, and and the transactions that go through them. But uh, yeah, the how do they work? Is um, you can take some cash and you can put it into the ATM and it will put out a piece of paper which holds the private key for a certain amount of of Bitcoin, of cryptocurrency. And so, or um, you can 
go to the ATM and transfer some cryptocurrency to the ATM by using your phone. Um, and then the cryptocurrency ATM can put cash out to you. So it's basically a kiosk where you buy and sell cryptocurrencies in real time. That's pretty interesting. So, so if I'm following you correctly, you insert cash money and then cryptocurrency bitcoins are transferred into some sort of digital wallet for you or digital bank account in there? Yeah, they can probably get transferred to your digital wallet by giving an address, or some of them can print out a piece of paper with all the authority needed to um, to uh, put it into a wallet yourself. Uh, but yes, the, the the former, where it transfers it straight to your wallet, is the uh, by far the more secure, of course. And that's uh, again to get get into the terms a little bit. You hear crypto wallet or digital wallet. That's different than storing your assets on one of these exchanges like Coinbase, right? Yes. So the ability to have your own wallet is really what makes cryptocurrency stand out. Uh, I mean, there's a few there's a few properties, but this is really the one. You are in full control of your asset. So you have a digital wallet like on your phone because it is a it's an electronic asset so you can have an electronic you know storage for it on your on your phone and uh, and when it's on your phone it's purely it's completely inside your phone you know phones these days have a secure chip it's hard for them to get at it when the FBI wants in to a phone they have to call a specialist who works on it for months right um, and so these assets can go right on on that phone, and um, it is totally different from having it on exchange, where the exchange is holding your asset. And um, this this is this concept is where you own your own keys. So if you have the keys to that cryptocurrency stored on your own device, then you actually own that cryptocurrency. If somebody else is holding your keys and they're holding your cryptocurrency. It doesn't actually in the cryptocurrency world. It doesn't actually belong to you. And this concept is really going to be foreign to most people because they're used to having the money electronically transferred to the to a bank, and that bank is holding their money for them, and they have absolute faith in that system, which they should, and the banking system is very faithful in that way. But in the, in the cryptocurrency world, that level of faith or any level of faith is not good enough. And what a true cryptocurrency person wants is they want to be have absolute 100% control over their cryptocurrencies, and that means storing them in their own wallet. One of the things that I think is most interesting about the cryptocurrency world that, that you and I touched on before we started the podcast is that this world runs 24-7, and so I guess that means you can trade 24-7 in cryptocurrency. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I don't know if it's that way with stocks because I'm not a stock trader. I mean, in the old days, you had to wait until the morning to see if the stocks were going to go up and down. I used to follow the stock market. Um, but uh, but yeah, all day, every day, it doesn't it doesn't stop. The industry doesn't sleep. If, it, if you can't log into an exchange at some crazy hour, you actually and you have coins there ill-advisedly, you actually start to worry if that exchange just, you know, Happened, something happened to it. The guys sure. ran away with your coins. Um, it's that level of, of um, 
you know, demand anytime you can trade cryptocurrencies. How do um, how do taxes work on cryptocurrencies for for U.S. citizens? I don't expect you to know the entire world, but if you're an American, you own cryptocurrency, um, and and I know it's super volatile, right? That we see on the news all the time. It goes way up and way down, way up and way down. But how does the tax system work? Well, I've been yeah, I've been doing cryptocurrency taxes for a few years, and I think I've done them right because I haven't heard from the IRS and my trading is quite extensive that's a good thing and of course this is this is not tax advice because i'm not a professional at all but this this is just what i've learned in my experience and how i do my taxes is that if you can you treat a cryptocurrency just from a tax perspective okay because there's different regulatory agencies and um and fincen will treat it as a currency and the, the irs will treat it as a commodity and so just like any other commodity, you when you make a trade, it's a taxable event. So you sell one cryptocurrency for another, it's a taxable taxable event. And each cryptocurrency has a basis, and that is what you bought it at. That is the dollar value you bought it at. And of course, there are there are rules, strict rules regarding how you arrive at dollar values. What the levels of consistency you see you need to, when you calculate those dollar values, and if if you're if the value you had when you when you got it is less than the value you had when you sold it, or you know if the value you had when you sold it is more than when you got it, saying the same thing but from a tax perspective, it's easier to think about. That means you made a profit, and right. so you have to put that profit on your taxes, and that profit has two basic categories there's long-term capital gains and there's short-term capital gains if you've had that for more than the rule of thumb i go by is a year and a day if you've had it for more than a year and a day it is uh, long-term capital gains if you've had it for shorter than a year and a day if you calculate the dates and they were exactly one year you haven't made it yet it's still short-term capital gains and that is taxed at the um the the regular earnings rate and so whatever your tax bracket is, say you may say you're uh, you know one percenter and your tax bracket is somewhere in in close to fifty percent, you're going to have to pay taxes on on those short-term capital gains at fifty percent. And if they're long-term capital gains, hopefully the the law doesn't change this year because I sort of rely on these low tax rates for long-term capital gains. Sure, uh, it's at twenty percent. And so. So every cryptocurrency trade can can really boil down to that set of rules. And there and from the U.S. tax law perspective, there are no exceptions. And if you have a, a whole a big gain and you're still holding cryptocurrency, it's it, it's not like you're waiting to pay taxes until you cash out. You've cashed out already from the eyes of the IRS. And if you're really sitting on some currencies that you that you made a big profit on on a trade and now it's they're real low, you might want to uh, get rid of those and take your losses and reduce your tax liability before the year closes out and you lose that opportunity. So um, yeah, there's that from a tax advice perspective, I'm not a professional, like so don't treat it as tax advice, but that's how I've found it works and I stick by those rules um, very uh, very tightly and I've never um, been contacted about the IRS and I've had some really, really crazy complicated um, tax 
taxes because of the, the trading. It's easy to have a hundred trades with a hundred dollars worth of cryptocurrency. So wow. that's wow. that's how it gets that's how it gets complicated. Because <laughs> the cryptocurrency trading fees are very cheap. They're on one side, if you sell, you're only paying typically on average 0.25% of that trade. So a lot of people are used to, um, you know, stocks where they might be taking a 2% commission on every trade. Um, that would be unheard of. But they're almost 10 times less in cryptocurrency, to, you know, than 2%. They're about 0.25%. And sometimes, you know, when um, when cryptocurrency uh, crypto exchanges are starting up, you you know, the uh, one fee on on one side of a transaction on Gemini used to be free. If you were to just put your coins on the market or put your dollars on the market and and your coins would be sold into or or I mean uh, your coins would be bought or your dollars would be sold into, you wouldn't actually have to pay a, a fee on those transactions. So. That's why it can get quite complicated because there's really uh, zero friction, almost zero friction uh, when you're trading. Um, it takes such a small cut. So you don't need much profits in order to cover your trading fees. I think there's a business opportunity there for accounting folks, uh, especially young people just coming out of uh, out of school to specialize on this because it, it appears it's not going anywhere. There's so much more institutional uh, adoption of cryptocurrencies just in the last year, and you see these huge companies that are getting involved, uh, like we talked about, PayPal and Square, Tesla was in, and uh, and on and on. Uh, Dr. James Stroud, you have been incredibly helpful today, and the great thing about a podcast is uh, folks who are listening can go back and, and sort of rewind and, and glean the specific knowledge uh, that you imparted on us, so thanks for being here. But before you jump, uh, and I know you've got just a couple of minutes. Uh, as we record this podcast, this is a big day for you and for Stealth XST. And I want to ask you about that and, and let you share uh, why it's a big day for for your company and your cryptocurrency. Well, sure. Yeah, our cryptocurrency um, started out in 2014, and uh, it was mined into existence in the, in the fair mining process. And since that time, it's had a very quick what is known as a confirmation time. If you have a if you have a transaction on Bitcoin, you have to wait 10 minutes. Unlike the potential of you know three or four days for a wire, you have to wait 10 whole minutes on 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 Bitcoin. You know that's not fast enough. So our coin launched with one minute block times and um, fees. The fees are very low right now. Our fees are less than 0. Point, uh, than one tenth of a, a cent. So that's what a fee is for a, a stealth transaction. What we and but still that's not cheap enough. So cheaper and faster are always the goals. And the real goal is instant for all practical purposes. So fast you don't even realize it happened. Um, of course, nothing can be instant. Everything has to take some amount of time. So we we throw the word instant around liberally, but so fast you don't even you don't even realize it happened. And uh, and cheap. And of course, the cheapest you can get is free. And so what we did after um, three years of development is we changed the block blockchain protocol while it was still live to have um, transactions that confirm in five seconds. That, that's about as fast as practical. And, and for most people, five seconds happens before, you know, they they finish their thought. And sure. so uh, we think that's that's fast enough for people, and it and to have a little bit longer block times makes it easier on the protocol. 
Um, but five seconds is that magic number, I think, for most people. And then um, we are just have uh, feeless transactions that I believe are, are live um, pretty much coming up right in the next few minutes. I have to go see uh, if those have kicked in yet. And so those are the two things that happened today. And, of course, it's a, it's a huge day because it represents three years of, of development. It's coincidental that you're, you're having me on here uh, today just after all this went live. It just happened to work out that way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're very excited about it. And, of course, we've been very busy working on that. And I, I only got a few hours of sleep last night. And uh, that might make this a bad coincidence because I could have, you know, not made any sense today and have no idea. <laughs> it's a wonder you can string two sentences together. That's, uh, that's quite an achievement. Well, if, if people want to find out more about uh, Stealth and your company, where can they find you online? Well, it's real easy. Um, stealth.org, S-T-E-A-L-T-H dot O-R-G. Type that into your browser bar and you will be at our website. And um, we have my favorite areas of our website is uh, the news and development blog. And if you really want to find out the nitty gritty about what's going on, if you're interested in maybe buying some, you know, I'm not suggesting to not or to or to not. Either way, uh, it's totally up to anybody who's, who's listening. But go to the development blog. What I do encourage you to do about any cryptocurrency is just go to the, their blog or, and see what they're up to and see how much the people know and, and how much they um, put into their cryptocurrency intellectually and work-wise. And you can tell a lot by, by that. So that's my – I've contributed extensively to our development blog. And so if people want to go there first, I mean, in, it's in their best interest. And, you know, it also warmed my heart because that's where I put a lot of my intellectual efforts. Look, this is a, a rapidly evolving space on all fronts, from development to investment to regulatory to trading to people just learning the terminology. I would love it if we could have you back on in a few months because I know the whole world will change. Will, will you come back and visit with us again? Oh, absolutely. I'd be honored. The man knows his stuff. Dr. James Stroud, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast Thank you, SpeakerMatch.com, for sponsoring the show. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, make it a great day. Be kind to one another. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.